Hello and welcome to episode 179 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco and thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers and find out how they got into the industry as well as trying to get as many hints and tips from them as possible. If you haven't checked out our back catalogue of brilliant guests, please do that. But uh, this week we're speaking with someone who has written 50 books, which is no small books. achievement. Yeah. No, I know. We're chatting with the wonderful Susan Lewis. Uh, Susan Fax, she started off uh, working in TV in Bristol and then London for Thames. Uh, I remember Thames being pretty massive when I was a kid. It seemed like every everything that was good in TV was made by Thames. <laughs> uh, she was a secretary in News Current Affairs and she trained as a production assistant moving into entertainment and drama. And it was that love of drama, she says, that got her knocking on the controller's door to ask how she becomes a producer. And the reply was, go away and write something. So she did. She wrote 50 books. And uh, she's she's had a pretty incredible uh, life story of moving away to Hollywood to try and break into the into the film and TV industry over there yeah. and had some pretty uh, exciting neighbours. and Yeah, George Clooney, neighbour of George yeah. Clooney. I think yeah. she also uh, used to walk her dog with Steve Martin and even had Nick Cage stay over or something yeah. one night and I mean, crash at her house or something. So... Yeah, but some good celebrity anecdotes there, uh, and we do we do get at least one of those anecdotes out of her in the <laughs> podcast. So she's to, to to be fair to to, to George, Stephen, and, and and Nick, she's very um, respectful of their the privacy. So she yes, exactly, know, divulge exactly. too much information. But we managed, as I say, to to get at drag least a, li- a little morsel. Of yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, we will get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, and we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome, but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realised it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a 
comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Well, no, um, is the short answer. But I have been one for so long now that it's um, it, it seems like you know a very small part of the beginning of my life when it didn't it it wasn't so much that I didn't think about it. I did, and it was indeed something I were arrogantly assumed I would do one day. Um, but it wasn't something that, you know, some people just work so hard at it and study for it and whatever. No, I didn't. I That was not how I got into it, no. Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, am I right in saying that you, you started out in TV, first of all? Was that, mm-hmm. was that your yeah. route into the sort of creative world? That's right. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I was in television for about 15 years. Uh, there was an overlap, you know, when I was writing and I was also in TV. Uh, but I think I had, well, certainly in my earlier years, you know, in my early 20s, whatever, I, I, I was, you know, focused on having a career in television. I, publishing as such had not ever really entered my head at that time. Mm-hmm. It was only when I wrote a TV series um, and somebody suggested I turn it into a book. So I thought, oh, all right, then, give that a go. And I got it really wrong. Don't think I just suddenly thought, oh, <laughs> great, I'll write a book. This is brilliant. I got it really wrong. But um, but anyway, it was kind of when I sort of wrote myself out of television and into publishing um, because I put it right, basically, and got the bug. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd read that you... Um... You, you you were working for I think it was Thames the TV mm. um, production company um, when you were, when you were younger and you kind of you really seemed to climb the ranks and kind of went in on the ground floor as a, as a secretary and then ended up being a production assistant and you wanted to be a producer and and was that something which you'd always thought would be quite an interesting job or was it something which you kind of fell into and thought well that's the logical career path for where I am now. Well, I didn't know anything about um, career progress in television until I actually joined television. And I joined as a copy taker in the newsroom at IT, well, what was then HTV West in Bristol. Um, And then I became a secretary in drama. That was at a time when HTV was doing a lot of drama. Um, And from there, I moved to Thames Television and I worked in um, current affairs and news there and then moved on to drama um drama was always really where i wanted to be as much as i i mean i did enjoy my time in um current affairs and indeed it has informed several of my books you know that that sort of passion for news and current affairs that runs alongside drama um so, uh, but then when I was working in drama, I went to see the head of drama to ask him what I had to do to become a producer. And he told me to write. So uh, that was obviously just to get me out of his office. Uh, <laughs> so, so off I went and wrote. And that's when I got it horribly wrong. And until I got some really good advice 
from the creative controller at Thames Television. He said, he read it and he said, you know, you will find this working so much better for you if you put it into the past tense. And of course, I was just totally used to working in the present tense Mm -hmm. uh, with scripts. And he was absolutely right. This is not to say I continued always to write in the past tense. I do mostly. Um, But now, actually, I know it's you. My latest book is flips between the two. Um, But yes, definitely, I find it easier to write in the past tense. So that was great advice for me. That was sort of... So so you you said you you went off and and wrote this book and it, it... it was it wasn't right at that point um so how how did you get from that stage to getting uh, was it a class apart was that your first published book that's right yes it was so yeah. h- how did that what was the journey to to actually getting that in print then mm, um well i was god i've forgotten now i i, I know i know um so i had written a children's fantasy adventure that was the book that i got wrong and i got mm-hmm. the advice about and that, a friend of mine said, try try this literary agent. He's a great friend of mine. See what he thinks. So I did. And he called me up and said, I think you've really got something here. So let's talk and see where we're going to go. He put it out to various publishers. Meanwhile, while I was waiting, I had kind of got the bug. So I just carried on and wrote. And that was mm-hmm. when I wrote a class apart. Um and which was entirely an entirely different thing, and it was then decided by those in the know uh, who can foresee the future. I guess that this is what I would write is this kind of fiction uh, back in the eighties. That um, you know the kind of Jackie Collins, well, yeah, Jackie Collins, Judith Grant, Shirley Conrad type of fiction. Um, and so my children's fantasy adventure got parked. It's still in that parking space. And, and yeah, off we went with a class apart. And did your work on the script writing and things like that, did that help you in approaching writing a novel? Because obviously it's not something you'd done before, but sort of the ideas of structure. Yeah, and no, like I, it helped. was absolutely my apprenticeship. Right, okay working in television absolutely mm-hmm. working with scripts because it taught me all about continuity dialogue costume makeup directing props you know, the whole thing that you have to put into a novel um to bring it to life is it's there in a script you know so of course you've got you know an army of people carrying out their their bit in television but you have to take put on all those hats as a novelist um, so uh, yeah, absolutely, it was my training ground. And and from that training ground, um, obviously you wrote a class apart in 1988, and since then you've written 50 books, which is just an incredible amount of books I've written. It's fantastic, and often I see you writing two a year. You know, I mean, my first question is just how do you manage this? What's your process? How do you manage your time? Uh, well, I, I'm not a big time manager as such. I know that helps with some for some people, but um, I'm, I'm just very, very single-minded when I do it. Very 
um, dedicated to what I'm doing. So, for instance, I've just finished the first draft of a book yesterday. Now, I have been working on that solidly. This one's taken me longer than they usually do since June. So every single day, and sometimes I take Sundays off, I took some time off to do research, but I am totally focused when I'm doing it. This book is not actually due in until December. So it won't take me long to do the second one. <laughs> she said, <laughs> it shouldn't take me long to do the second draft. And then I will have time off before I start the new one. So it kind of comes in chunks. I write and then I have time off. I write and then I have time off. And is that is that process, you know, you're talking about a second draft there. Are you someone that likes to push through to the end on that first draft and then rewrite? you know, revise at that point or do you revise as you're writing uh, during this? Oh, the whole exercise is revision, really. I mean, I am writing, editing the entire time. Um, But I do, with the first draft, I do lay down a complete book. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll probably have too much in it um, or it, it will be missing some salient points and it, I will... Certainly, uh, you know, I was just looking at it just now. There's things that I will need to put in at the beginning now to balance things up with how things carry on going through. Um, but as it stands, it's it's about 600 pages, so it's definitely not a synopsis. Um, and, it, you know, hopefully it will be culled down to 500, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> do you... Do you- plan a lot before you get going do you do you know exactly where your book is going to go before you put one word down or do you spend a lot of time just kind of pantsing and working your way as you write that first draft uh so in the last couple of books i have got myself a big chart and i have charted out where i see the books going and I wish I'd done it with I Know It's You, which was my 50th book, because that would have helped me, I think, quite a lot. But I did do it with the next book and the one I've just finished. So there are two more now. And I it definitely starts me off really well. Uh, but then, I, it, it, then everything just moves away from it. So I will plot something that I think is going to take me sort of the best part of the way through the book and probably by chapter three I've it's taken on its own life but it's good to kind of focus it in my head to to write these things down and then at some point during the writing of the book I will look back at my early notes just in case there's something I've missed that I think should be there mm-hmm. and but by then I've usually just moved right up way on past it so it doesn't so yeah an early focus i find it's good but sticking to it i mean i knew how this one was going to end having said that funnily enough i know it's you ends a particular way but today i am working on an alternative end for that book which is a really strange thing to be doing but this is what they have asked for for the paperback edition So the the paperback will be the same as the hardback, but at the end of the paperback will be an alternative ending. And now I'm writing that alternative ending, and I think, oh, this is better, actually. (laughs) (laughs) 
a better ending I've than I've never heard of that before a paperback having a kind of like a bonus feature alternate ending that's interesting. Well, I, I, no, I mean, I have it as an alternate ending. I did um, something like it. Uh, I can't remember which book it was for. What did I do? Oh, I know. Um, I know it's you. And it, this is a Richard and Judy thing, generally, that it was, they like to have additional material at the end of the book that only they have. So it's for that Richard and Judy edition, if you like. Right, so okay. That, that's what this is for. Um, and, but I, I don't, but you know, having said that, I, I think everyone's going to get this additional material for this one, I think, yeah. But it, it's interesting that because I know you said that obviously you have a plan and then once in the writing of it, as many as many authors do, it, they'll, they'll veer away from it and, and the, the book will sort of go in a different direction. But having an alternative ending, I mean, I'd, obviously I don't know how different the ending is, but I mean, were they both in your head at, at the start of the book as possible endings? You know, how, how does that come about? Yeah, they probably were both in, kind of, not necessarily from the beginning, but, you know, at some point through the book. Um, there, it definitely it could have gone one of several ways, actually. Mm-hmm. But what I opted for the one that I thought the readers would like best, mm-hmm. not necessarily the one that I felt would be the best ending. Uh, but I, I, I didn't. Think, people don't like being left high and dry they don't like um they don't necessarily like ambiguity at the end of a book they um they like things to be rounded off and and wherever possible i will try to end a book that in a way that will make somebody smile mm-hmm. uh, when they hadn't seen a smile coming or something um but in this case there 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 isn't a smile at the end of the book there's just a sort of there's a twist um, and now I've done a twist on the twist, if you like. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> God. Well, I mean, I know it's you, um, as you said, it's your latest book, which came out uh, the start of August uh, 2023, uh, just last month. Um, why don't you tell us about what the book's about? Okay, so it's about an editor and a publishing house who has a book submitted to her. And it's being submitted chapter by chapter. And as she's reading it, she realizes it is the story of her life. Ooh. Mm. Spooky. I like that. <laughs> That's a sort of very Black Mirror type idea going on there. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, when you've written 50 books, I mean, it's, it's the sort of cliche question that a lot of authors get. But, you know, how do you keep coming up with, with ideas for new stories? Or is that never a problem for you? Well, it hasn't been, but sometimes they're late coming. Um, I remember a time when I was on my way to see my uh, editor in London. I was on the tube and I knew we would be discussing what my next book was going to be about. And I didn't have a single idea on my in my head. And I'm thinking, well, I hope she's got one, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway... 
we came to a stop at a particular station and this uh, young girl who was sitting opposite me woke up and suddenly realized she was at her station and she hurtled off the train, left her shopping behind and somebody very quickly picked it up and threw it off the train after her. And there I have my idea for my book, but it was a child, <laughs> not a shopping bag and the child did not get off the train. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there we, and that book was called Stolen. So yeah, so sometimes they can be very late in the day. Um, I don't know what my next book will be, uh, but then I've only just finished the most recent one. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's, it's like what's going on in the world around you really, isn't it? It's yeah. always about that. I mean, that's why I've written about a podcaster now because, you know, everyone's listening to these true crime podcasts. Mm -hmm. I have listened to a few with my stepsons and because they're completely addicted. And, you know, so the real life dramas and, and extraordinariness that happens within these true crime podcasts, I mean, that's incredibly stimulating. Um, so it's not that I have tried to uh, or taken a real story and fictionalized it, that it is pure fiction that mm -hmm. I have. Um, but yeah, it gets the old brain matter going. And that's just by, you know, long car journeys, listening to podcasts and thinking, yeah, I think. Actually, it's a great one to do. I, and I'm, I might, I've been thinking about using her as a character again, but it's a mm -hmm. two, it's a, a, a male and a female. Um, because it's an alternative to a de detective without yeah. having to go through all this procedure. Because they're generally yeah. they're dealing with yeah. cold cases, of course. Um, so you don't have to go through all the procedure, uh, police procedure, which I f can find a bit tedious. I know some people love it. They I know what you mean, though. You, give, you almost have to have that kind of hierarchy, the DCI, the DI, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and if you if you, you can sidestep all that quite neatly, can't you, of doing a PI yeah. or a journalist or a podcast or someone who has that same investigation, but mm. on their own terms. And it's quite freeing, yeah. I suppose, yeah. Yeah. So I, your... I did quite enjoy doing that, this, actually. What What's your uh, favourite Drew Crime podcast that you've listened to recently? Oh, what, listening to... Oh, without question, it was The Teacher's Pet. Ah, excellent. Oh, yeah. Have you listened to yeah. that? No, I've, I, I've, I've heard one. about it. I've not yeah. heard about it. Before, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I seem to remember enjoying it, but the guy who... The Don't spoil it, Tarek. Is the killer? No, it's uh, it was had a really annoying voice or something. I can't remember one of these like stupid oh. things that kind of put me off. It I can't remember, but it was a good one though. Oh my god, I was completely addicted to it. But the trouble with podcasts, and I suppose this is the way they have to do it uh, in those, um, you know, in the true crime sense, is they're incredibly repetitive. So. Mm -hmm. At the top of each episode, you're hearing the same thing over and over. And, and, and of course, if you've downloaded the whole series, you keep hearing the same thing. But um, And this one spun out over 16 episodes or something. It was a lot. And then, but the, the amazing thing about that podcast is that it was the podcaster who solved the crime. Yeah, that oh, is that's amazing. right. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I've actually forgotten quite a lot of this one. Yeah. So that was what was so amazing about that podcast. And there's another podcaster um, called Rob Murphy, who is, in fact, the ITV crime correspondent. Um, and he does brilliant podcasts. They're very focused, but it's what he does. You know, he is a mm -hmm. book. Yeah. 
and uh, and he's got tremendous access to the police and to cold case files and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Excellent. I like I love all of his podcasts as well. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask as well about obviously you've written fifty books, um, some standalones, but also some series books as well. And do you do you have a preference? as to which one you like or does it just depend on the idea that you you, you happen to have at the time as to where it will fit in and is it a series is it a standalone uh well one the there is a series that i wrote which i call the no child of mine series which is a series of three books and when i wrote no child of mine i was a good halfway through before i realized this has to be two books it cannot be mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to go back to the beginning to pace it out again. And indeed, it became three books in the end. Um, so they're probably the the proudest I am of my books, I, actually. I feel like they were, yeah, because of their subject matter, they meant a lot to me. And I know they did to a lot of people, a lot of people who read them. Um and then, and I did another series uh, about investigative journalists. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't intend to write a series. It was just a book. And then it became four books. Uh, but four different stories yeah. featuring the same journalists. Yeah. And interestingly, see, I wrote those quite a long time ago. And I was living in Los Angeles at the time, although they're mostly set in Britain. and And the issues... I was dealing with in those books remain major issues now that, you know, the issues they were investigating. So not a lot's changed with really. uh, people trafficking being one of them. Um, election fraud. Huh. Very, cool. Very topical. Yeah. <laughs> Very topical, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so uh, arms deals, supplying arms to terrorists, that kind of thing. That's, a, a, a journalist is another good you know just i suppose a podcaster is a type of journalist right enough but yeah. you know is another good protagonist for that sort of investigative story exactly. isn't it without having to go through all the procedure as, as you were saying exactly well and i did i have a character called andy lawrence and she features in about eight or nine books i think mm-hmm. but she in the first book i wrote featuring her she was a detective a detective sergeant and by the end of the book she kind of she's had enough she has dealt you know with the seamier side of life and just the sheer horror of life long enough she wants to have something decent going on in in her world really um so she steps away from becoming a detective but because she lives in a small community people always call on her to help with their problems you know their missing daughter their um somebody has come out of prison who you know is posing a threat to them um her own sister is uh who went missing when she was 16 um there's this, there's a book about them what happened to the sister um so she yeah, she became a recurring character and it's funny how often i see when you know, when we know that there's a new book coming out, we put it on Facebook, how 
readers will say, oh, good, Andy Lawrence is back. And and she might not even be a big character in the book. She's just yeah. kind of helping out with the story, as it were. But it's like people like recurring characters. I just yeah. Do you? Yeah. Is that, is that, you, is that you familiarity? Like? I think, yeah, that, yeah, I think it, so. That, that can be, you, I suppose it sets some parameters of what the story might be like, even if it's not going to be all about that character or whatever. You kind of have an idea of what sort of story it's well, going to be. Exactly, because you know whoever Andy Lawrence is helping is going to be the good guy. Yeah, you okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Unless, unless she gets it badly wrong. I don't, you know, have I done yeah. that? What if I've done that? I could. And I suppose, and I think if, if you've got a really good central character in a series, I'm thinking of like you know someone like Bosch or someone where you can you can really dive into them over ten, twenty books or whatever. You could you know, and there's a lot of you can explore a lot of stuff. You can use them to kind of explore a lot of you know, prisms of society, etc. They're the kind of lens that you see it through. Yeah. It is it, 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 it's a really nice a nice technique, and I think I don't read a lot of series stuff actually, but the ones I do get into, I really do quite like to. Yeah. Well, the thing I like about the recurring character thing is that you don't have to read those books in order. That's right. The the early Auntie Lawrence ones, you're better to read in order, the first two or three. But after that, they become standalone books that also feature her. I mean, the the New Child of Mine series definitely should be read in order. Um, They're not always. People just get hold of book two or book three Mm. randomly from a charity shop or something. Um, and same with the other, the Silent Truths Quartet. But um, but yeah, the recurring character like Andy Lawrence, or maybe now like Christy Ward, who I'm writing, um, yeah, they'll just be independent stories and that they are backing, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll and um, I mean, you mentioned it a few minutes ago just there, but being in, in LA and we couldn't have you on the podcast and not ask you about some of your exciting travels that, that you've been on because, you know, you, you, you put out about 12 or 13 books then you moved to France, then you moved to California, then back to France. Now you're back in the UK and on your time in Hollywood, especially, I think on your website, you list some very interesting facts. George Clooney was your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage stayed over. You met up with Steve Martin on dog walks, you know, so I just have to ask that that sounds like an incredibly fun time have been there well it it was i mean there's no doubt i I, it yeah it was seven very special years uh wasn't one huge party but it was quite a lot of a party (laughs) it was it was three i I mean it is in fact it, it is incredibly glamorous and and i was very lucky that i wasn't dependent on hollywood for my income because that's how hearts get broken. Mm-hmm. There's so much talent there. I think I had not been prepared for that at all when I arrived. And I had friends there already, and they'd say, come to the theatre. Theatre? I didn't think people did theatre in LA. There's theatre all over LA. Because it's full of actors, writers, directors, mm-hmm. um, they want to keep their hand in, so they stage all these productions. And my God, the standard of them is phenomenal. I mean, they can't, they're so good. How does anybody ever choose from this talent pool? pool? Mm-hmm. And as we see, you know, not everybody is outstanding, but, um, you know, there's just so much to choose from. So you you feel like there's so much luck involved, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
There, there just has to be because there is so much talent. So it, once I decided that I wasn't going to, or not decided, or once it was decided, or I realized I wasn't going to make it in Hollywood, I could just enjoy being there. And so I, yeah, I did used to go to a lot of premieres and, um, you know, um, galas and all those sort of lovely events at the Beverly Hills Hotel on Saturday. You see that you, 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 you decided you weren't going to make it in Hollywood. What, what were you trying to do in Hollywood? Were you trying to break into acting or script writing? Oh, no, it would have been script writing. Well, I think I would like to um, have got my one or all of my books dramatised. Mm. Um, that was definitely a desire. Um, although I have never tried to do a screenplay of any of my books. I think after I left television and got really involved in writing a book, I realised that I was leaving the script writing ability behind. I I was moving further and further away from it. And I know a lot of novelists do write the screenplays for their own books, but I'm not sure I would actually be very good at it. Yeah. Well, I, I just have to ask as well, George Clooney, neighbour from hell? Put his bins out on time, etc. Sorry? Didn't, didn't put, 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 his, put his, out his bins on time? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> No, he, well, one funny thing, which was actually really touching, I thought, was um, he, there were builders, you know, you can imagine, he lives in a very big estate, Mm -hmm. and I am across the road in a much smaller house, and I used to walk up behind his house to go into the canyon to walk my dogs, but anyway, he always had builders in, and then I discovered, you know, they were building a tennis court, and they were putting a, a, you know, a, kind of a guest house at the end of the tennis court and then there was another pool going those builders were constantly there and i found out that it was a friend of his <laughs> they didn't have any other work so right. was keeping him employed which i thought was just lovely yeah, um, that is. and this was at the time when he had a pot-bellied pig uh-huh. um, okay, yes. and my it is long before he was married of course and um my dog casanova got a whiff of this pot-bellied pig at some point when we were walking by and and he went in under the bushes to try and sort of sort this pig out. Oh, I don't know what he was planning to do. (laughs) And I'm sort of kind of going in under the bushes going, cast it over, cast it over, (laughs) calling calling him back. And uh, anyway, thankfully he did come back. Uh, But, um, and I didn't get any paternity suits. So I think... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so yeah it, i mean it sounds like i was going to ask if you would ever want to go into you know go back to that sort of film and tv world but it doesn't sound like it. You're, you're you're happy writing the books but we'd still like something to happen with them oh, well i'd love them to be dramatized i i think it's always kind of a it is a disappointment to me that they haven't been because particularly because you know the series with the investigative journalists would make a great sort of netflix series mm-hmm. and um and no child of mine would as well i mm-hmm. mean very much about um uh, a social worker actually social worker and child protection um and they're you know, there's quite a lot that, well, of course, in 50 books, there's a lot of material there that 
would yeah. make good drama. But again, maybe it just comes down to luck that some people, you, you know, sometimes I look at look at TV series and I can absolutely see why they have been chosen for dramatization. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it would be any different with mine, but for some reason they haven't. So there we are. Yeah. Well, ho hopefully it will. It will still happen. Change, yeah. uh, um, so uh, I, I know it's you uh, is out, but what is what is in the pipeline? Uh, so next is a Sicilian affair, and that comes next April. And that's a book I absolutely loved writing. That book it was such a treat. I I don't know why I had. I'm not very good at love stories actually. In fact, I'm completely rubbish at them. But I thought I wanted to give this a go. And I was going to Sicily anyway. And then I said to my husband before we went, I said, I, said, I think I'm going to have a good look around and decide I might set a book there. And I did. Uh, and I just absolutely loved doing it. So it did mean we went to Sicily a couple of times. Oh, poor us. Oh, terrible, <laughs> terrible. Um <laughs> so that I could sort of get the setting right. And this, uh, in fact, it's all set in Taormina, which you might have seen um, in um, The White Lotus, because that was set in Taormina as well. Uh, but this, I mean, it's there are two stories within this book. There's the back story and the front story. The front story is all set in Sicily, so Sicily moves all the way through the book. Um, and it is a love story and... I love, I actually loved writing the love stories. I'm probably still rubbish at it, but I loved doing it. So. What was the last book that you read? That I read? Uh, oh, well, I have just finished a, a brilliant book. Absolutely brilliant. The Queen of Dirt Island. Do you know it? No, I, no. I think I've heard of it, but no. Don't mm. Oh, God, it's stunning. An Irish author, and his name has just gone straight out of my head. We uh, can find out and we'll tell yeah, people at the yeah. end of the podcast, but yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it's just the most brilliant book. Um, in fact, I'm not one, if I read an author and really enjoy them, I don't necessarily go on and read other books by them because I'm just reading in the same style all the time and mm -hmm. I like to keep changing that. Uh, but I have done so with him because I just... Love. I mean, the Irishness of it is just, well, and the exquisite writing. I mean, I, I think it was, I, I don't think it won the Booker Prize. I'm not sure. Was it that? No, it wasn't that one. It was Strange Flowers, which was another one of his that I was right. definitely okay. on the okay, book. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the most recent book that I've nice. read. Um, what about the last film that you watched? Film? Mm-hmm. Of no idea um <laughs> when did we we haven't been to the cinema for ages because we got a puppy and um it could be a, it'd be a film you watched at home if that's easier it doesn't have to be cinema. yeah i i don't know i well if you ask my stepson's i'll tell you well she never watches a film because she's asleep within the first 10 minutes <laughs> so it's more likely that you know i'll watch tv series and um at the moment i'm I'm watching something called Lydia Poet, which okay. is just, it's an Italian series and it's 
absolute rubbish. But it's a brilliant switch off at the end of the day because you have to read the subtitles. So whatever's going on up here, you've got to let it go. Otherwise, you're not going to get the subtitles. Yeah. Um, or, you know, they're not going to go in. Um, and it's a sort of 19th century detective series. Um, or, and I'm just about to get going on the latest series of The Morning Show. Oh, nice. All right, nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you watch that? I watched the first season. I really enjoyed it. I've not watched anything beyond that. I haven't watched the second one yet, though. Yeah, I'm. Am I going to be watching the second or the third? I the third remember. one's the new season. Just that's about to the come third out. one is the yeah, new yeah. Season. There's because two of them already. I've watched the first two. Then that's right. And I because I can't see where they would go with a third. So I'm quite fascinated. I, I was. I kind of felt it was a. I assumed it would be a one and done season like it was kind of wrap everything up so yeah. it was, um, I, 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 see, I, I like yourself I was quite you know intrigued to see where they take it after the end of the first one anyway so yeah um, uh, I do need to get back and watch that because I, I did enjoy the first did you watch one. Hijack? no but I've heard it's good though the yeah. Idris Elba yeah one. yeah yeah I mean that is a series that you think how the hell are they going to keep a whole series going on board <laughs> yeah. an aeroplane but they do Excellent. Yeah, no, it's on the list. He sleeps. He sleeps for the first two, three hours before <laughs> yeah, hijacking just, starts. Yeah. Just watch a film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so what the, about you? What have you just read? That's brilliant. Give me some recommendations. What am I reading? I'm reading um, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow at the moment, which kind of everyone's chatting about. But it is very, very good, and it's. Uh, I don't know that one. It was that. Oh God, I hate. That. I can't, can't remember. remember. Right, I'll look it up. Um, but it's about like a um, kind of two folk who work in the video game industry, and so as someone who plays a lot, a lot of video games, it's quite nice because they, they reference a lot of stuff, and it's about them making a game and kind of drama around all that kind of stuff. And it's very, I think you don't need to enjoy video games to to enjoy it at all, but it's it's very good. Right. And uh, what I, about you? Yeah, I, I well, I just I was just hosting a panel at Bloody Scotland, so I had to read three books uh i read stig abel's book death under a little sky julie mcmillan's book the fall and Catherine faulkner's book the other mothers and uh yeah they were all they were all really good actually um not necessarily the type of books i would normally read but uh, i enjoyed them all so yeah i would recommend those do you ever find when you like you say they're not necessarily the type of books you would normally read that when you actually start reading they're not the type of book you think they are anyway yeah, no, that's that's true as well. That's a good definitely, point. Yeah, 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 that definitely is true. But no, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I've been very much before I read those. I was very much in a sort of sci-fi or fantasy binge, so it's very different from that stuff. But as I say, it, it, they were enjoyable. So yeah, they were good. Yeah, because because it's quite easy to get caught in that kind of. I'm I'm bad for that for like crime and thrillers. I end up reading like yeah. three, four, five in a row, and then I'll read something else, and I'll be like, oh, wow, "This is like a breath of fresh air." I should have, you know, I should read it up more often because it yeah, gets stuck it in that kind of rut, isn't it? And then you don't appreciate the stuff. Yeah, it's so same. I'm glad you say that because I, you know, I, I mean, often I'll be at an event somewhere and I'll get somebody come up and say, "Oh, I only ever read crime," and I'm right. Well, that's okay. I mean, that yeah, there are crime. There's crime in my books. There's actually crime in most of the books that I've yeah. written. Yeah. But they're talking about a, a specific detective procedure. Yeah, yes, best or exactly. something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why? I, that, I, well, like you, I, I just I feel so bogged down by it that, that then when I move on to something else, it is like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, yeah. I know. And why, even why if, limit yourself. Yeah. 
even if I move into historical mm. um, novels of some kind, um, then, and I don't read a lot of historical books actually. And the, but when I do, I think, why don't I read more of these? It's, yeah, even if it's still a thriller or crime, it's just the setting changes. That? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, the very, very last thing we always do in the podcast is a super quick fire, either or, um, and there's no, no real wrong answer to most of these. But we'll start off with uh, George Clooney or Nicolas Cage. Oh, George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> uh, TV or cinema? Um, well, TV is what I'm watching, I guess. So. Uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Uh, early bird. Uh, music or no music when you're writing? New, no music. And the last one, real book or ebook? Oh, ebook. Ah, nice. That's the second person we've chatted recently who went on the ebook. Yeah. Most people are staunchly real book people who like the smell of it and all that kind of crap. So it's nice <laughs> to see there's more normal people out there. <laughs> well, you know, I do such a lot of reading during the night. The Kindle does it, you know. Yeah, And of course, you can take all those books on holiday. You can alter the size of the print. Mind you, that's a bit embarrassing sometimes. I've seen <laughs> airport and somebody's looking about, God, what's wrong with her eyesight? But yeah, no, definitely the Kindle. Well, thanks very much to Susan for coming on there, and uh, Tarek, you'll be pleased with another ebook pick there. The Yet end. another. They're really, they're really s- not uh, stacking up. <laughs> that, yeah. I know that's what you wanted to say. <laughs> I was going to say stacking up. They're really slowly falling in line. Yeah, know. yeah, it's slowly, very slowly. You're, now, you're slow and steady wins the race, perhaps. <laughs> that's that's what, what you're going for there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, and we get to episode a thousand. That's yeah, it might have balanced out by then. Yeah, exactly. it would take quite a run of, of e-books for that to happen, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I like that you think we're going to do a thousand of these as well. But, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'll, I'll check it out. I'd be lucky if I get the episode 200. Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting there what she was saying about, you know, having crime books or thrillers or whatever that don't have police as the main yeah. character, you know, a podcaster... It, she was talking about as an example and i think that's it's all i I always find that personally quite interesting like susan was saying i'm not that into the absolute police procedure i know that some people are and like to like it when it reflects the proper hierarchy of police and and the proper procedures of fold and all that sort of stuff but um i suppose the freedom of a non-police character allows you to take Steps that wouldn't otherwise be allowed with with your story. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think I I definitely struggle with with having to always have that. What's the rules? What's the routine? Who would they need to check in with? You know, what are they allowed to do? Whereas, as you say, you take away that whole hierarchy structure, and it is it's more freeing. You don't need to you don't need to feel you have to have that DCI DC etc. Yeah, yeah. That people expect from a from a police you know story so the, yeah i think there is a 
a freedom in just saying I, I can do what I want and I can take it in any, any direction I want and I can do stuff that a police officer couldn't do, etc., etc. Yeah, which is, which is quite interesting. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, and and as we said at the start, we managed to get the George Clooney story out of her there yeah. as well. So, pot-bellied pig. Yes. I didn't know he had one. <laughs> yeah, no, that he was he was famous for that when in his younger oh. days. That was those were in the days where George used to act by simply tilting his head and smiling. I I, I remember a lot. I remember watching. Uh, it must be with his Batman Robin movie where he basically just he shakes his head yeah without moving the rest of his body for about 10 <laughs> minutes straight but i remember that's all he used to do in er in the first <laughs> couple of seasons yeah um but yeah he 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 obviously went to uh, i mean who am i to say this but he obviously went to acting school got got better <laughs> he obviously, I mean, well done george. I, i'm a, I'm a, a crap actor george if you listen to this i'm sorry i'm crap <laughs> at acting so i don't know why 10 out of 10 now for marco though yeah, well yeah um uh, also, uh, Susan mentioned the book that she had just read, uh, Queen of Dirt Island, but couldn't remember the author's name. That is Donald Ryan. So if you like the sound of that one, you can pick that one up. And you can also pick Susan's book up. Uh, we'll put a link in the podcast description for that one. Um, but next week, we have another great guest, a, a journalist turned author. We do. Gareth Rubin is a uh, very interesting man we chat with next week. He's written a very interesting book that you can read back to front or front to back. Yeah, it's called a Tet Besh novel or something, which, which uh, apparently was more popular in the 19th or early 20th century. So, yeah, if you imagine two books, so it's back to back and upside down, so you can you can pick it up and read it either way. But his Tet Besh book tells these two stories, but they're very interlinked as well. So... It's yeah. an ingenious idea, and also I yeah, it's very cool. Very difficult to write and link up in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 an interesting type of book. One that sh- I, I've not really seen any of before, and I kind of wonder if we're going to see a lot more of going forward. If it'll become a bit of a yeah, you know, a thing. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it, Gareth's a lot of fun to speak to as well. So um, yeah, please do tune in for that episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please do give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can always drop us an email by sending an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk or you can send us a social media message on everything pretty much. Uh, Just search for at uh, UK page one, apart from Mastodon, where we are writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod. But otherwise, have a great week and we'll speak to you next episode. See you later. Thank you.